0: The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166.
1: Welcome to Voices of Experience on Kixie AM 880 and KKNW 1150 AM. My name is Paul Casey, along with Eric Ryder, working the boards, and of course, Eric Crema, co-host of the show. You have a really interesting interview today for Spotlight, and that's with a Joanne Miller.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we've done a, quite a few interviews of late where we talk about retirement and preparing for retirement, so... She and I sat down, and we talked about her job as a, uh, uh, really, she does retirement um, counseling in a sense, uh, like life coaching, uh, because I think now, more than ever, people want different things out of their retirement than, say, their parents or grandparents had, and they can afford it, too, in in many cases. So she counsels people on, okay, what do you really want out of your retirement? Let's see how you can get there. Not so much on the financial end, but just the emotional end, you know, and and uh, so that you have the most fulfilling retirement. And I think a lot of people just think, oh, I just want to sit in my lazy boy chair, you know, or hit a beach somewhere. Well, that might be fun for a week or two. But, you know,
1: Yeah, then really. Then you got
2: other things you might want to do. So yeah, that's what she's going be. to talk well, about. Well, good.
1: Uh, anxious to hear that because more and more people are thinking that way. So that's good. We'll be anxious to hear that coming on a little later. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of good subjects today. And uh, coming up just in a few moments will be a gentleman by the name of Jack Thompson. He mm-hmm. was known as the throw Samoan when he was at Washington State University. He played football there, again, in the late 1970s. He set numerous Pac-10 records. In 1978, he finished ninth in the balloting for the Heisman Trophy. He concluded his college career as the most prolific passer in NCAA history. Wow. With 7,818 passing yards. He was all Pac-10 conference three times. He went to Evergreen High School. He played six seasons in the NFL with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I give all that introduction about football. However, that's not why he's going to be on the show today. He is also co-founder of a nonprofit organization called Cougs First. Okay. And it's a pretty remarkable beginnings when it began and it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. It's a marketing marketers dream in terms of uh, what it's been created here. I am on the board, okay. but uh, there's just people who have made enormous contributions and Glenn Osterhout and Jack Thompson are the two founders and they deserve a lot of credit, but we're going to get into those details and Jack will be with us coming up in just a few moments. Voices of history talking today about one of the top songs in rock and roll and it comes to the history of the rolling stone magazine said that this song was a second best of all times so i don't know if i that's a lot mm. to go on for you two but uh second is best bo- so,
2: that's lofty yeah the, that oh, is oh my goodness uh okay i'll have to put my Eric Eric might be uh, better at this than me, but I'll I'll put some brain cells toward it.
1: Maybe I'll give you a few hints along the way. (laughs) And uh, today's Timeless Classic comes from an individual who recently, unfortunately, passed away. And this artist had numerous hits. But this song I'm going to have us play today is really not one of them. At least a lot of people in the world of this individual didn't rate this song very high, but mm. I believe it, it's his best song. That's okay. why I'm playing it. Yeah. And a lot of other people do. I did read an article that said this one got through, uh, kind of fell through the cracks, I guess. And uh, so we'll hear. Kind of sunk like a either. ship. And it- okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I know that one. But uh, all right. Good guess. Oh, and by the way, I just want to make this announcement because if you're listening to the Kixie version of Voices of Experience, not KKW, we will play the entire song. But yes. if you're listening to KKNW or my podcast because of licensing issues and things like that beyond our control, we uh cannot play the yes, Timeless right.
2: Classic. I have a quick question for you along the lines of music, maybe to both of you. Uh have you noticed in in all your music enjoyment? That if you like the song right away, you tend to not like it after hearing it a few more times. But if you don't, you kind of like it, or there's a little intrigue, a bit of an intrigue to it. And then it becomes the hit that you just love
3: for the rest of your life. That's always been my way with music. We call that a grower. A grower?
2: Yeah. If, okay. it's a, if
3: it's a grower then uh, it tends to live on with you a little longer. That's than, interesting. You know, Are you making you that, mind, that up? No, or really? it, it, it is called the grower. <laughs> the grower. No, I,
1: I can't grow. say that I've had that experience. I haven't really thought about it. That doesn't mean that it's not true. I just never thought about uh, maybe it does grow. Maybe it is a grower or something I, like I that. I just
2: think about like sometimes the B side, you know, back in the day when they had a B side. Right. You know, it seemed like sometimes
3: I like that song a lot more for longer. Yeah, and th- there's lots of cases in history of uh, DJs flipping over a record, playing the B side, and that becoming the hit. And that's the hit. Yeah, huh?
1: It happens a lot. There are several of those that happen. Uh, isn't uh? Oh, that'll come to me a little later when it uh that did occur.
3: Of yeah, course. we could do a whole segment on that. <laughs> sure.
1: Over 71 million properties in the U.S. are in danger of wildfires. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. And, of course, we're coming up again on another fire season. And when you look at what's happening in Canada right now, in Alberta, Mm. I mean, that's terrible. And so I decided it would be a good idea to have uh, Michelle Steinberg. She's the director of the Wildfire Division of the National Fire Protection Association to how you can take steps to keep your property
2: safe. That's great. Perfect timing on that, too. Uh, and I think people are getting wiser about that, the need for it uh, to clear, you know, to, to make those
3: changes to their property. Well, yes. they say we're going to have a drier summer than usual. So, is that right. Yeah. This is uh, good timing on this for sure.
1: Okay. I thought it would be good to do it now rather than wait till July. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you know what I mean? So, maybe the,
3: repeat it when people start
2: buying fireworks. <laughs> oh, gosh.
1: Oh, don't get me started on that. Okay, so don't. <laughs> because, yeah, it's, it's insanity. I mean, when people are doing this in neighborhoods. So, what is Voices of Experience all about? We talk to people with experience in their own right, what they do in public affairs, travel, fitness, mm-hmm. education, entertainment, with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. We try to go in that direction as well. But what we like to do is get input from our audience, and here. and and what they want to hear. And uh, so if you want to do that, you can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Leave your message about anything you'd like us to cover. We are stepping up our coverage of entrepreneurship issues Mm -hmm. simply because we had a request to do that. And we want to continue on that because, Eric, as you mentioned at the top, he uh, looking at retirement, mm-hmm. well, people aren't retiring as fast as they used to, That's right. and they are looking for probably not full-time, but very much uh, in the realm of trying to get some part-time work to stay busy, and there's certainly a lot of opportunities out there to do that.
2: Well, so, the thing I love about Voices of Experience, other than the fact that it is the top-ranked radio show of all time. Yes, wink, that's wink, true. Nudge, that nudge. is not fake news. <laughs> <It's> not like, <laughs> is uh, I love how you uh, you know you have different interviews. So it's like, it's like a variety show on the air, and the interviews are of various topics. But there's always some helpful nugget in there that can help you or someone you know. Right. So you should be listening to this week in week out.
1: Sure thing. I'm not going to argue with you there. Thank you. Jack Thompson is on the phone. He is indeed. Hello, Jack. I'm here. Hello,
4: Jack. Can you hear me okay,
1: Paul? I hear you great, loud and clear. I did a introduction to you about your football career and all that, and I said at the end, we're not going to be talking football today. We're going to be talking about an organization called Cooks First, with, which you and Len Osterhout co-founded and some other people. You can talk about them as well. But, Jack, there's a really big show coming up in a couple of days at the Hyatt in Bellevue. And first of all, first things first, what is Cougs First all about?
4: Well, um, it's it's a, it's a business organization that uh, uh, came to being about uh, about 13 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, as you mentioned, Paul, um, uh, me and Gr- uh, Glenn Osterhout, Robbie Tobik, uh, Mike Bernard, Paul Dent, and Kyle Bosler, we, we got together. For lunch at a Bellevue restaurant, we were we were bouncing uh, these uh, an idea about you know getting the coos together, creating a business uh, networking organization, and um, it it led to we had a dinner, um, and we we had a gathering of about 35 uh, Cougs who owned or managed businesses, and it was at the Harbor Club in Bellevue. You might have been. Uh, to that part, I was uh, I
1: was at that one. Yes,
4: it was the very first uh, event that we ever held, and uh, after you know everyone got their their dinner, or, uh, I was I just asked the group, you know what what did they think about you know putting finally putting putting together a cougar networking business uh, organization, and everyone said it was a great idea. And then I asked the, the crowd, you know, when we're looking to purchase products or services. We need to think Kooks first, and someone yelled out, I think it was Michael Thompson. that said, um, that's it. That's what you should name it. And so, uh, thus this Kooks first organization began, and it, it morphed a couple years later into, um, doing trade shows, uh, two, uh, per year, one here, one in, uh, one in Seattle, one in uh, Spokane. And it, it has really, um, skyrocketed in terms of, of popularity um, amongst Cougs and uh, excitement. We're so fortunate to have some great um, sponsors in BECUs, our title sponsor, and, and USI, um, Commercial Insurance Group, um, led by Jason Gesser and um, uh, Robbie Tobik and Chris Prentiss um, in this area. They really stepped up and, and um you know, just an opportunity for Cougs to um, go, come to this trade show and see all the different uh, market niches Cougs are in. I mean, uh, you think of a business, there's a Cougar in that, and uh, Cougar-owned and managed business. I I run a, um, a mortgage company called Cross Country Mortgage in, in the Pacific Northwest, and um, we have um, Marketplace Sothebys, real real estate company, to car dealerships, to hotels, you name it. We're in it. And it's, it's excitement um, personified for the Cougs uh, on Friday uh, at 3 o'clock at the Hyatt Regency in Bellevue. Uh, President Schultz will kick it off by giving our annual State of the University address. And then after that, it rolls right into the show. We'll have about 80 exhibitors, and uh, we have a record breaking um, number of uh, pre registrants. Uh, I think we're nearing 1,000. So it's going to be a great time. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. Just go online, org and register. It'll make uh, the ent- the entry um, process much easier. You just walk right in and, and have fun, as coogers are known to do.
1: Okay, and Jack, that is at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Bellevue. As you mentioned, the actual uh, trade show starts at 4 o'clock p.m., runs to 7 p.m., and you can register on CougsFirst.org, dot org, or you can go directly to the show, and it'll be easier probably if you pre register. But nonetheless, if you want to go to this, and the question also is, this is not just for cougars. If you, nope. I mean, we'll even let a husky in. Is that true?
4: <laughs> oh yeah, but you know, it'd be cool, in, uh, in your desire to wear purple and gold that uh, that could be frowned upon. But uh, no, seriously, you'll you'll get a chance if you're not a Coug, You'll get a chance to. Uh, mingle with the uh, Cougs, and really understand why there's this love affair that we as Cougar alums have for our school um, and, and why we rally around, you know, our Cougar flag and, and why we want to support uh, each other. And it it, it, it all started, um, you know, innocently, and it's, like I said, it has blown up. And, and today we have um, uh, quite a following, and it's grown. We have over 400 um businesses that have that are kooks first members and so um it's a it's been a fun um um you know thing to be a part of and now we have an executive director in tony poston who is doing a bang-up job They're, he's taking it to the next level we have a kooks first TV classic in pullman uh that we had just a, a month or so ago and and it's like i said it's just growing
1: yeah this would be a marketing dream for so many people too and I'm not aware of any other college or university in this country is doing something like this. Do you have any uh, knowledge of that?
4: Well, you know, Paul, for me, and and I'll I'll try to tell you as quickly as I can, one of the um, beginnings where I began to think about something like this is when I went down to the first game I've ever went to as a spectator at the Coliseum and watched uh, my son Tony play against the USC Trojans. And as I was walking around the Coliseum, I noticed all these, there are a lot of kiosks, these uh, USC Trojan business people that had uh, kiosks. And and I, I was really amazed by how much, you know, how many businesses were, were represented in, and the passion that they had in supporting one another. And I'm thinking, you know, if they can do it, you know, we sh- sure as hell can do it because we love our school more than they do theirs. So that's just a fact. And. And our goal was to create a business networking organization that um, is the best in the Pac-12. And, frankly, I think it's the best, uh, you know, anywhere in the country. If you go to our website, tootsfirst.org, you'll see how uh, it's it's a robust website, and it shows you all the things that you'd want to know if you're in in the business sector.
1: Wonderful to hear. Again, I'm going to make an announcement again. That will be on uh, Friday and it'll be at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Bellevue. Jack, as you mentioned, President Schultz will be giving a state of the university from 3 to 4 p.m., but the actual show starts at 4 o'clock p.m. and uh, runs at 7 p.m., and this is the first time it's going to be held on a Friday.
4: Yeah, and uh, we're going back to the Hyatt Regency. That was the first uh, location we had uh, you know, our first show at, and um, I, I think we're going to... We're more than twice the size of what we were when we first started. And we will have other, you know, we'll have sports luminaries there. Um, Coach Dickert will be there. Several um, uh, football players will be there as well. And it's just it's a very fun, festive environment to check out all the different niches that the coups occupy in, in the business world here in the Future Sound.
1: All right. Sounds great. Jack, thank you so much. Anything else?
4: No, you, you got it, Paul. I appreciate the, the opportunity to share this with uh, uh, your listeners, and um, you know, thank you for all your support and being a board member. So thank you.
1: You got it, Jack. I'll see you tomorrow and then again on Friday.
4: I look forward to it as always. Thanks, Paul.
1: Thank you. Take care. Bye. And again, that's CougsFirst.org if you like to pre-register for that event. You do not have to be a Cougar to go to this event because there's a lot of great products out there, and I think you'll get some ideas about uh, presents coming up. Uh, I mean, it, the exhibits go with travel, law, I mean, wine by Cougars. It, it really is, it's hard to describe. I think you just have to come and see it. And again, anybody who wants to come, and it is free, once again. So.
2: Uh, well, I'm definitely going to get the word out to the group here. Um, anyone that uh, knows local media knows how Coug, the just. The Edward R. Murrow School of Broadcasting, School school of Communication, how important that's been to local media. Um, I can't count the number of people in this building that graduated, you know, from WSU. And they will be there.
1: Uh, I actually underwrote their booth for several years, and they're doing their own now because Mm -hmm. they see the value in recruitment of students. But they will be there, the Edward R. Murrow College. And a lot of colleges, the vet school and, and things like that will be at this event Itself. So, anyhow, one more time, kooksfirst.org, pre register uh, Hyatt Regency in downtown Bellevue, 4 to 7 p.m. on this coming Friday night. You just received
5: some startling news. You're going to need brain surgery. But the doctor also says your prospects for total recovery are excellent. The doctor is very confident with his prognosis. He's performed hundreds of similar surgeries during his career. Who would you choose, this doctor or another doctor who's never performed this type of surgery? If the doctor who's performed similar surgeries is your choice, then experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure.
1: Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul K. Voices of now Experience is by
5: simulcast by on by AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 PM. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 AM. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com.
1: All right, so here we go with uh, Voices of History Or May the 10th. Well, today's May the 10th, 2023. Uh, everything didn't happen on this day, but a lot of them did, actually. On May the 7th, 1965, a very tired Keith Richards woke up in the middle of the night and grabbed a tape recorder and came up to the, with the opening tracks of a song and was going through his head was, mm. I can't get no satisfaction.
2: Yep. Mm, there you go.
1: And then he went back to sleep, okay? He woke up and he kind of hummed a little tunes to Mick Jagger. The Rolling Stones went into a Chicago studio on May the 10th, that would be today, 1965, and hammered out the final version of the song. Forty years later, Rolling Stone magazine ranked Satisfaction as number two of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Now, question... What's the number one song?
3: I've got a guess. Um, Stairway to Heaven. Good guess, but no. No. God God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Ooh, another
1: good guess. I just heard that song the other day. No, Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. And now I get suspicious. (laughs) <laughs> Wait a minute. The magazine's called Rolling Stone. Yeah, right? I, uh, like <laughs> a Rolling Stone is number one. Yep. Rolling Stones Satisfaction's number two. And number three, Stoned in Love by the Stylistics. Uh, the
3: fix was in. Yeah. yeah it was. <laughs> I lied about the last <laughs> one. <That> was... <laughs> but still.
2: I remember <laughs> I think it was the eighties when that song We Built the City on Rock and Roll came out. Sure. And every rock and roll station. It was brilliant because they would play it. Yeah. Because they wanted to be represented as the station that built the city on rock and roll.
3: Right. Starship. Perfect. And I, I never
2: made that connection, but yeah. you're
3: right. That was, it was I loved played. the song. Yeah. They actually uh, released a version that allowed DJs to add their own local uh, oh, is that right? stuff on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> Which was brilliant. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, the original version had them talking about San Francisco. Um, but uh, uh, DJs could put stuff about their local broadcast area on top.
1: So yeah. they took San Francisco out of it for that reason. They were going to <laughs> yeah, have absolutely. That in the
3: lyrics? It, it used to have like the city by the bay, you know, the Golden Gate, and all this stuff in there. And then I remember hearing it in Fresno as a kid, and they were talking about Fresno stuff with uh, DJ Break. So of course, yeah,
1: <laughs> never made that connection. Well, continue with the music theme, John Sebastian, a member of the Lovin' Spoonful, was asked to write and record a theme song for a brand-new television show called Cotter. Sebastian was struggling to come up with the song. Then he came up with an idea, because he got the kind of the storyline, of someone coming back Hmm. to their true calling, which in his case was teacher. So he named the song Welcome Back, Cotter, It went to number one on May 8th, 1976, and said, at that point, the show's producer said, let's change the title to Welcome Back Cop. Oh, wow. That's how that happened. That's cool. There you go. Again, two uh, interesting music uh, renditions there and how people come to, uh, so much is by accident. That's what I'm always fascinated by. Yeah.
3: Who wrote the song about the sweat hogs? (laughs) It's <laughs> what I'm watering. Oh, that's oh right. yeah, That's right. That's <laughs> the right. sweat hogs, and John Travolto being that's one right. of them. Yeah,
1: he got his start on that show, right? Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Let's see. On um, let's go with on May the 10th. That's today in 1994. Nelson Mandela is sworn in as the first black president of South Africa. Mandela spent 27 years of his life as a political prisoner in South Africa. He declared on his inauguration. The time for the healing of wounds has come. And True well, leader. True leader. Amazing. I mean, and not bitter. I mm-hmm. think 27 years in jail because mm-hmm. I'm black or whatever, I'd be a little be a bitter, upset. Of course, yeah. On May 10th, 1877, the first phone was installed in the White House. Who was president? Eight. What did you say,
2: 1877? 18... 1877. Well,
1: let's see. It's a tough one. I wouldn't have got it.
3: I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. Was that uh, yeah. Grant or
1: Rutherford B. Hayes?
3: Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I think I'm distantly related, so I should have known that. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh.
1: Rutherford. Okay, you have Rutherford Day at your house, and
3: <laughs> now, well,
2: so that. What was the first call? That's what I want to know. Who right. called? <laughs> There's a fire. No, I don't know. There's a fire.
1: <laughs> Good question. There's nobody else with a phone, so, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I can what say you whatever want for I because don't have it written down. I'll just say, you know, are you going to be down for dinner?
2: It was the first telemarketer.
3: you have got a horseless carriage you know, already. On May 10th,
1: 1892, on a more uh, somber a somber note, uh, the worst, this is in the state of Washington, the worst coal mine disaster in Washington's history occurred in Roslyn, again, May the 10th, mm. Forty-five men lost their lives in explosion and fire in the Rosalind Mine.
2: I never knew that. Been I did. several times. I had times. heard that. Uh, wow. I had
1: heard that, and there's a graveyard or something not far from there. It's in Rosalind somewhere. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I think I saw it on some show that, yeah, it was a... It and if you've yet. never
2: been to that town, it's a great little town. It sure is. Go to the, go to the brick. Go yep. to the brick and have yourself a beer.
1: Well, where the show was uh, kind of...
3: Uh, One of the settings for Northern Exposure. That's
1: right. They never they did it in a studio here in Redmond, I think, mm. but some of the scenes obviously were uh, taken in Roslyn. Gotcha. And then on this day, in 1906, Seattle's King Street Station opened for the first time. Wow. The station obviously currently serves Amtrak and, and the Sounder Commuter Rail. So this comes from uh, our thanks to the History Channel for helping us out with all these great information and, of course, uh, our local historylink.org. That's right. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was was a great one. So uh, All right. So we'll be coming up uh, next with a couple more uh, episodes. We're going to go right into, actually, uh, my interview with uh, Michelle. And we'll be back with that. Michelle Steinberg. You are the director of the Wildfire Division of the National Fire Protection Association. Is that a government program or is that a nonprofit?
6: We're a nonprofit association. Uh, we've been around since 1896 and we're dedicated to eliminating losses and suffering from fire, electrical, and related hazards.
1: 63,000 structures have been destroyed over the last five years by wildfires, the majority of which are homes and that 71.8 million properties are at annual risk of being destroyed by wildfires. So that's, again, pretty terrifying right from the beginning. What do you think about that?
6: Right. So this is why we really encourage people to get prepared and, and use our tools and tips that are free, uh, working with our fire departments to get ready for uh, this eventuality that really exists pretty much everywhere across the United States. And we see, our, we see that wildfire seasons are getting longer. In fact, we'd say fire year now instead of fire season. Uh, things are happening much earlier in the year and lasting throughout the year. We're obviously seeing huge impacts to our communities that are often built without fire in mind. So in other words, uh, the design and materials don't always match the hazard. Um, and so we really have a job to do to help people maintain and improve their situation when they live with the risk of wildfire.
1: There's something called the home ignition zone. What is that?
6: Yeah, that's a phrase, home ignition zone, that was coined by uh, researchers looking into how is it that these wildfires are burning homes down. Uh, There's a lot of mythology around that. They discovered that it wasn't really the big flames so much that you see on the news, but these little things, these embers that will fly in on the wind from a fire up to a mile away or more, or the creeping fire going through the grass that if you were... You know, if you were there with a hose and a bucket, you could just put that out in no time. But in a in a wildfire, you're exposed. You, so many homes are exposed at once. Firefighters are trying to do their best to contain the wildfire. They can't be at every home. So the idea is to protect the home from ignition, because a home that doesn't ignite won't burn. Um, so to do that, we look at the home itself, the exterior of the home, the roof, the siding, the windows, uh, where embers could enter, where they could collect and burn, like gutters. Uh, the side of the house on the porch uh, surface or under the deck. Um, and then we can mitigate in there. So it's the home itself and everything around it within just about 100 feet. And even within five feet of the foundation walls, that makes a big difference. If you can clear out any kind of combustible material, it actually will do a lot to help your home survive.
1: Are people listening?
6: I hope so. I think we do have a number of communities very dedicated to doing this. Uh, We administer something called the Firewise USA Recognition Program. That's in more than 2,100 communities all across the United States where people have gotten together and for years have been working on reducing their wildfire risk. Wildfire Community Preparedness Day and other kind of campaigns are ways for us to continue to beat the drum, get people interested in this, get people aware of this, And show them how really easy it can be to work with your neighbors to start to bend that risk curve down.
1: My wife and I spent uh, four months in California this winter. And, of course, Mm -hmm. we had a record snowfall in the northern area, Lake Tahoe, the Sierras, and a lot of rain in southern California. It's counterintuitive, I think, to think, wow, that is going to help in the wildfire season. However, that's Mm -hmm. counterintuitive. Actually, it's going to make it uh, a lot more difficult.
6: Yeah, the problem is that we see that all that beautiful moisture, I mean, it's great right now. I've been hearing about all the wildflowers bursting out in the desert and things, you know. Uh, that's great. And then, of course, the grass grows as well. The, sh- the shrubby fuels grow. Uh, this is how firefighters talk about plants as fuel. Uh, so you have all that vegetative fuel growing up and crowding in, and that means that you just have that much more fuel to burn when it dries out, when it gets hot and windy and the conditions are right. So it's a never-ending cycle, um, and wildfire is part of our landscape in many parts of North America. uh, Our ecosystems are adapted to wildfire. Unfortunately, not all of our built environment is adapted to wildfire. So that's why we try to help people understand how to design and live with fire, how we can prepare our existing communities to deal better with fire, so that well before fire starts and there's smoke on the horizon, uh, we know that we've done some things to help ourselves, gives us a bit of peace of mind, gives us a bit of feeling that, you know, we can we can tackle this together and to prepare us to move out of harm's way if we need to do that.
1: Now, what technological advancements have been made? I'm thinking satellites. I'm thinking drones that, let's say, in the middle of a forest that a fire starts and it seems like it's a couple acres or even more than that or burn before anybody can get to it to start to put it out. Are there things being done on that level that would help us get to it faster and maybe extinguish some of these fires before it gets out of control?
6: I think there's just lots more than I've ever seen. I've been in the industry for more than 20 years. I've seen much more um, advancement and innovation around detection and suppression than ever before. Um, Where I'd like to see more innovation is how do we uh, do better with our building materials and design for the communities that we're building? Because uh so far we haven't seen that we can get ahead even if we know the fire uh, if we know earlier that the fire is uh burning uh we may or may not be able to get to it in time we're 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 getting there but i wouldn't say we're quite there yet with with being able to suppress fires at that level and uh things can go wrong very quickly even in the best planned situations when the weather changes when the when the wind turns so we really want Uh, to look at innovation as well on the preparedness and mitigation side of the equation for wildfire.
1: I read in the New York Times yesterday there was something, and I've been aware of it, called the National Flood Insurance Program, and Mm -hmm. uh, somebody was advocating we get rid of that. And the reason I bring that up, and the reason they wanted to get rid of it is because it encourages people, let's say after there's floods on the coast, they can go rebuild there because they get a a low-cost loan. Is there anything like that, like National Fire Insurance Program, that if something burns to the ground, a home or something like that, that they have insurance coverage that would allow them to build there and kind of do the same thing? Because there are hot zones. You see what I'm driving at?
6: Sure. I think that's – and I actually worked in the National flood Insurance Program for state and federal government for years prior to coming uh, to fire – so um, I have a good understanding of it. I can understand why people would think, oh, that's incenting people to build back, when actually it, uh, that particular program does not make people whole. Uh, what, that, that is a big misconception. It really isn't covering everything that you would need if your home was completely destroyed by a flood, for example. Um, in the fire situation, for the most part, uh, in most states, what you're finding is almost all carriers are going to include fire, and they make no distinction if it's a kitchen fire or a wildfire. Fire is covered as something that happens to your home. So um, the problem with wildfire, of course, is this. Suddenly we're seeing more of it. We're seeing more homes damaged. We're seeing that um, people haven't put the preventive actions into place. And so the insurance industry is grappling with that. But typically, yeah, your homeowner policy most of the time in most places is going to cover fire i think um, right now the situation in california is is interesting and challenging that uh... more and more it may seem like we're going to separate wildfire out from that coverage that hasn't happened yet but i think that's a big concern because uh, insurance really is the number one social safety net to get people back on their feet after a disaster if you have a lot of uninsured uh... folks out there that lose homes it goes back to federal government trying to come in and help because you think, well, if it was my home or my neighborhood, I'd want that support to be able to put my life back together. Um, you know, uh, what's the alternative? So I think that's a great, you know, probably more time than we have to get into that, but that's that's how I see it. Is you know, we really need to look at the how can we make sure that we're minimizing the potential for our losses um, to insurance but also to make sure that the insurance market can still cover us for things like wildfire disasters.
1: Anything else before we go?
6: I hope that people will go visit wildfireprepday.org to find out a lot more about how they can get prepared, all the tips and tools we have, and speak with their fire departments about their risk locally.
1: Final score from T-Mobile. Mm. Bad news. Texas 4, Seattle 3. Dope. Dope. So uh, anyhow, uh, with that, I was at the Tacoma Rainiers game last night, and the game started at 6.05, and I had to leave in the eighth inning. Okay. My observation, the game was two hours long at that point. So that would probably be Well, it probably ended in maybe 15 minutes later at most. Right. So that means that game was two hour and 15 minutes is all. That's amazing. It is. And uh, Tacoma did prevail two to one. But I just looked at the statistics about going into baseball this year in the major league level. Because last year we did have uh, the pitcher had to pitch the ball within 15 seconds. And then if someone's on base, you had to 20. I noticed it really sped up the game. So, the major leagues started it this year, and there's some early returns coming in. And I think if you like the game to move faster, you are going to like what you hear. For example, this year, the average game in the major leagues is two hours and 37 minutes. Last year, it was three hours and five minutes. That's a considerable, that's about yes. a half hour yeah. off that game. Yeah. Very noticeable. Um, stolen bases are up 40%. That means the game's being put into motion more. There's more action. Interesting. And um, the scoring has averaged over a run a game, 1.1 runs per game. Doesn't sound like a lot, but you take that over a year with all the teams. Sure. That is quite a difference. And I mentioned the stolen bases. And um, let's just get to the limits in the infield, the shifts. That's what it did kind of. I'm going backwards. What did they do this year? To speed up the game. Well, first of all, you cannot go and play in the short outfield, let's say in right field or left field, if you're an infielder. You have to stay if you're a first baseman, second baseman, you have to stay which in between second and first mm-hmm. base. Mm-hmm. Same for shortstop and thirty on the other side. You can't pile up all those players on one side. And that has led to a remarkable increase on in left handed batters. Their batting average is up forty percent. Wow. So that's a lot more hits putting in play. The The uh, pitch, the clock is at 15 seconds. If, you, uh, if there's no one on base, the pitcher has got to deliver that uh, pitch in 15 seconds or the batter gets a ball called on him. Mm-hmm. If the batter is out of the box and doesn't step in in 10 seconds, then the ump calls a strike. So it has had a, a, a huge impact. Now, they have larger bases this year. I don't know... If that's really had a huge impact or not, but anyhow, if again starting it out, mm. it looks like it's uh, been a good move, obviously for Major League Baseball.
2: Yeah, I had a quick question for you on that. What would that do to stats then? Because w- will there be asterisks in a sense, so that everything pre these changes, uh, and and then uh, numbers of home runs and things like that, or, or whatever, however it might affect the overall stats of individual players. I don't think this will. This just okay. is speeding up the game. Now, I just thought be, you said left-hand batters is what made me think of it. Okay, so suddenly or is there an advantage now? No, I
1: wouldn't say it's an advantage. It was a big disadvantage. Mm. I mean, if there's any asterisks to be made, it would have been – because this started in baseball, and it's a good question. I'm going to say 15 years ago maybe mm-hmm. you never saw this. But then one team started doing it. That's a good question. We should come back with that trivia yeah. question. That's a good Question because you know the players were playing first base, second base, shortstop, and third up until about maybe like I can say about 15 years ago. Then they started these shifts. Ah, I see, okay, you see. So a- again, you could make that argument about asterisk, but if you were to make it, you'd make it the other way too. So I don't think so. To answer your That's question simple. directly, no, I don't think there's anything here that they will do that. Now they could have done that with the designated hitter that changed, and I don't think they. Did that so, mm-hmm. Edward Martinez at a point never played the field, but he was a designated hitter. So, anyhow, so
2: I that's think people a, are gonna like it, thing. it, yeah, overall. yeah,
1: I, I think so too. And this, as I say, the speed of the game does pick up, and that's all to the good, I think, in the, in the game. So, where are we at now? We are coming into your interview, uh, uh in just a few moments. So, uh,
2: let's get to it in just yeah, a let's few do it. moments. And welcome to Spotlight on Success right here on Kixie 880 and AM 1150 KKNW. Thank you so much for your time listening to this program. Voices of experience, and in, in particular, this interview, I appreciate it. I love having interesting people come into the studio, and today is no exception. I have Joanne Miller, who is a certified retirement coach, and I'm starting to knock on the door, Joanne, of retirement. So I wanted, I'm, I'm getting excited to hear what you have to say about your job as a certified retirement coach. But first... Welcome to the studio.
0: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
2: Appreciate it. Let's talk about what it means to be a certified retirement coach. How do you get into that sort of a position?
0: Well, for me, it started while I was still working in the, in the corporate world. I was in the uh, Seattle Tech Center or Tech section for over 25 years. Oh, wow. And during that time, I saw how successful coaching could be with both my teams and with individuals. And so I started on my own path to certification. I became a certified coactive coach, hmm. became a member of the International Coaching Federation, and of course, a, a certified retirement coach. And then I happily retired myself from that world in 2018.
2: So you pivoted position. I mean, you were doing one thing, and then you decided I'm going to do a 180 and become a certified retirement coach.
0: Well, I was thinking about what do I want to do when I retire? Because Mm -hmm. I think it's important to think about you're retiring from something, but what are you retiring to? Good point. What are you going to do? And I didn't want to leave that up to chance.
2: And I think we have all heard sort of those stories of people who have worked in maybe one industry their entire career. Then they retire thinking, all I want to do is, is sit and watch some TV, maybe play some golf. And that's it. That's for me, that's my dream retirement. And then they just Lose purpose and unfortunately pass away sometimes earlier than they might have had an object in their retirement to go toward.
0: Very common. We we call that the honeymoon phase. What you're talking about mm. when you retire because you really haven't given it much thought other than what we've been sold, uh, which I think is a bill of goods. Okay. You're you know you're you're on a on a yacht. You're on a beach. <laughs> you're playing pick, which is all great, right? Because you're living on your own schedule. But it doesn't last, and then. When that's over, what happens to people is they can sink into, uh, you know, boredom. They can feel isolated. They can put on weight. They can even sink into depression for the first time in their lives. Hmm. But it shouldn't be that way, and it doesn't have to be that way.
2: It sounds to me that planning is sort of key. Realizing that you're approaching retirement, and beyond just the financial planning that you need to do, there's a lot of personal planning. That goes on.
0: There absolutely is. And I am not on the financial side. That's mm-hmm. I, I I, hope people have their finances or at least working with somebody to put that in order. But my retirement coaching is about the social, the physical, the emotional side of what you're going to be doing for the rest of your lives. And it does take planning. It takes work because you, you want to have something meaningful in, in your life. And this chapter of people's lives can be as long as what they're retiring from.
2: And I imagine there's a, a, a different dynamic if it's just you, say, yourself as an individual retiring in the household, or maybe you have a partner in the household that is not retired, continuing to work. I, I would imagine the dynamics change as you have the situation.
0: Very different dynamic. And a lot of people come to me with questions about not just finding meaning and purpose, which I think is really important, but about what about my spouse? What if we're on different timelines? Do we downsize? Do we move? What about Social Security? What about Medicare? What about our kids? You know, Like, are they going to expect me to be their full-time nanny? When I, You know, a lot of those questions people either haven't thought of or they're starting to think about and want some help navigating that new world.
2: That's why I like talking to people like you, professionals that sort of are able to take that 30,000-foot view of someone's situation and give great advice because I, I think for me, at least there's this loop of ideas that go on in my head and I, and I'm thinking it's going to be one way. And then I get into the situations maybe completely different. And I think had I just talked to somebody or verbalized my concerns or my questions or just my own ideas, I might find the folly in it. Sometimes like you say, I'm thinking I want to be under a palm tree, but that's and you maybe probably
0: not do want to be under a palm tree, but not for the rest of your life. Right. That's that's really what it comes down to. And I'm a big one on having people keep lists, create notebooks, keep track of things so that they're 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 taking charge and they're in control of their lives and not letting fate or happenstance be what controls their lives.
2: When I searched you out as a as an interview subject, so I started with Google and I was and I was looking at different coaching situations that were going on here locally, and then I found your website. So I want to give your website out because I think it's a good one. and You have a lot of wonderful information on there. It's Joanne, J-O-A-N-N-E, so Joanne Miller, typical spelling, M-I-L-L-E-R, coaching.com, JoanneMillerCoaching.com. What are people going to see when they go to your website?
0: They'll see background information about me, my own personal story. They'll see topics that I like to consider for retirement coaching, certainly how to contact me, um, and just some things to think about. I I think starting to think about how you're going to feel when you retire is really critical to preparing yourself for retiring. So what do you you think about retirement? What does that mean to you? Hmm. What do you think of yourself if you're not at work? Uh, How would you describe yourself to someone if you couldn't tell them what you did for a living or where you worked? Those kind of questions to get people thinking about it.
2: Is it is it common for people to be a little scared of retirement, thinking, my job is a big part of who I am, I, you know especially, it's a little different now with COVID with so much being remote. But there was a time, of course, where everyone you'd go every day to your job and it became a big part of your life. And now suddenly that's not there.
0: It may be the number one issue that people come to me with is work identity and what to do when it's gone. Because we get a lot of validation from being at work. You know, we, people think we're funny, we're smart, we're problem small. You, you know, a, a lot of things that, that we get at work. And when we're not going to work, that goes away.
2: Interesting, And that creates a void, obviously.
0: A void that needs to be dealt with. It's a thing, and, it, and it's not that easy. It, it's, it, takes, it takes, I think, individual work to, to find what is going to replace that.
2: And this is something, yeah, you you can talk to your partner. You could talk to friends or family. But I think it's important when you talk to somebody, again, who's that third party, who has the expertise, knows the right questions to ask, can listen and then react. I think that's important.
0: It is important. And like you said, too, when you verbalize something, it's very different than thinking it. So if you're thinking something and you're forced to actually say it out loud, it becomes much more real and much more valid in, in your and how you're going to go forward.
2: It seems to me, too, that if you just sort of have a paradigm shift in your mind, it can be really exciting to think about what am I going to do in my retirement because suddenly lots of options.
0: It should be exciting because really what what we're trying to find is a life that's meaningful and has purpose, and that's really what it comes down to. What are you going to do that is going to give meaning to your life and provide you with a sense of purpose? Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Would you recommend, if it is a situation where you're partnered in your life, to to have that partner be with you when you speak to say, come to see Joanne?
0: Um, I, it works both ways. Some okay. people prefer to be individuals. Some people absolutely want to do it together. It it can be either.
2: Well, in a little over a minute, we have left. I'm going to give your website out again. A lot of times people are driving around and like, oh, this is it, right up my alley. I've been thinking about this. <laughs> start with the website, joannemillercoaching.com. That's joannemillercoaching.com, J-O-A-N-N-E, millercoaching.com. The wonder of Google is you just start typing and it <laughs> pops up. Anyway, right. Right. Joanne, any parting words for those people who are sort of approaching retirement or maybe are just in retirement now and feeling a little lost?
0: I think the best thing to do is realize that you have to take control of this, that it doesn't happen for you. It's probably not what you were expecting, but there are a number of things that you can do and should do to make this the best chapter of your life.
2: Love it. Wonderful words to end on. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Perhaps we can have you back at a later date and talk a little bit more about this subject.
0: Thank you. I've enjoyed being here.
2: All right, Joanne. Thank you. And thanks for listening to this edition of Spotlight on Success. And of course, these great radio stations, AM 1150 KKNW and Kixie AM 880, source of wonderful music and programming like this.
1: Well, we are out of time once again for today, and it goes way too fast, as it always does. Um, Thank you to Jack Thompson for being here and, again, talking about Cougs First event. And, again, that's at the Hyatt Bellevue in downtown Bellevue, and that'll be on Friday night. The actual trade show itself, 4 to 7 p.m. And if you want to uh, pre-register, go to CougsFirst.org. Eric, next week, who are you going to have on? uh,
2: Luke Miner. He's with uh, the GET program. We're going to talk about how you can save money as you're saving for college for your kids. Very good.
1: That's uh, always important. Um, I'm going to talk to uh, Moria McDonald, and she's going to talk about water. Today I talked about fire, next week's water. Okay. So um, seeing how we're coping with the less water that we are experiencing right now. But, of course, the rain's helped out this winter, but that's, of course, temporary. So, uh, again, we'll be back uh, next week at this very same time at 3 p.m. My name is Paul Casey, and I want to thank uh, Eric Crema, of course, and Eric Ryder for being here and running the boards again, and Benny Mathers, who helps put it all together. Quote of the week, lead us not into temptation. Just tell us where it is so we can find it. (laughs) Sam Levinson. Have a great rest of the week. This week's Timeless Classic is about an affair. This songwriter believes his lover is using a friend's apartment to carry out an affair, and he implies that he'll eventually catch her. Quote, The city where we live might be quite large, but the circle is small. From 1978, The Circle is Small, by the now, unfortunately, late Gordon Lightfoot.
3: It's so right song. so. Around. You think it's fine to do things I cannot say And you're doing it to me Baby, can't you say That I know how it is
1: We're talking like this I can see what you believe in When his name is mentioned and I die I can watch the way you
3: walk The way you talk The way you Not all right to be Where well, the one that I'm loving Can't be found In the city where we live Might be quite large But the circle is small Why not tell us all In all of us will know. not
4: I you gonna watch the way you walk, the way you talk, the way
0: you lose your head